Thank you, First Singers and Dan and Lanny. That was very, very nice. Next Sunday evening, we'll have a combined worship of four Amarillo, the four downtown churches, and we'll have the combined choirs of those churches. And we're going to have a panel of New Testament scholars, one from each of the representative denominations. And our representative will be Dr. Joel Gregory, who will be preaching next Sunday morning. And the question is, does Easter still matter and why Easter still matters? So should be a, a very rare opportunity to hear four scholars this week's out from Easter discussing the importance of the resurrection of our Christ. So you want to be here uh, next Sunday night for that uh, discussion and, and the combined choirs. We find ourselves in our Acts study. We're at a very lively chapter in chapter 13 and 14. We did the first missionary journey. And then we, chapter 15, we had the Jerusalem Council where everyone joined together in Jerusalem. And they tried to answer the question, do the Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be part of the people of God? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to observe the Torah? They decided, no, we ask a few things to ensure table fellowship that's possible with the Jews. But other than that, hey, we couldn't keep the law ourselves. It is faith in Christ. They've been baptized with the Spirit of God, and therefore we will baptize them with water and be part of the church. So uh, they send the letter from James out to the churches, especially the one in Antioch, and then uh, when it, we get here, it, in verse 35 of chapter 15, uh, Paul and Barnabas have taken the letter along with some others, and then they begin in verse 36 to plan their second missionary journey. Let's look at that first missionary journey one more time. The first one, uh, you remember they started in Antioch, went to Seleucia, came down to Cyprus, the island, went across that 90 miles of the island, went on up to Pamphylia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. Remember in Lystra, Paul was stoned and left for dead, and then over to Derby, and then they traced back and came back to Antioch. And some time had passed, and look at verse 36 of chapter 15. After some days, it doesn't tell us how long, they had were in Antioch again for some time. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which you proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So he says to Barnabas, hey, let's get back on the boat. Let's go to Cyprus. Let's visit all the churches we started. They'd set up leadership and elders, and let's see how things are, are going there and the churches that, that we began. Well, look at verse 37. And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with him also. Now remember that John Mark is family to Barnabas, wants to take his cousin along. But the problem is, if you'll turn back to chapter 13 and verse 13, now you know that's not good news, right? Chapter 13, verse 13. By the way, there's nothing inspired about the chapter breaks nor the versification. It just happens to have bad luck on chapter 13 and verse 13 as it fell out. Now, Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them to return to Jerusalem. So let me translate that for you. John Mark quit. Went home to mama, it's too young, don't know, doesn't like that Paul's in charge. I don't know what he doesn't like, but he's a quitter. So go back to chapter 15 now, verse 30, 38. But Paul kept insisting 
they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So Barnabas says, hey, Paul, great idea. Let me get John Mark. We'll go back and visit all the churches we began. And Paul said, well, I'm not taking John Mark with me again. You know, fool me once, you know, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, he's a quitter. We don't have room for that. Everybody who's ever been on mission trips had somebody on that mission trip you wouldn't want to go with again. Well, that's where, that's where Paul was on this one. He wasn't ready to go back with John Mark. And Barma said, no, no, that's, that's my cousin. He's going to go. And there's a division among them, and they divide and become two different mission teams. And I, interestingly enough, let's go to the second missionary journey. This is Paul's second missionary journey. He doesn't hit Cyprus, as you'll see, but Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go down to Cyprus. So de facto, the Lord breaks him up, and Barnabas and John Mark cover some of those churches. And then Paul's able, as we'll see tonight, is able to begin all sorts of new churches there. And so we have two different missionary teams now. We have Barnabas and his cousin John Mark, and then we're going to see the team that Paul builds here uh, as, as they go. Look at verse 39. There arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed down to the island of Cyprus, a sharp division. Now, there may be one other factor here. We won't turn to it for time's sake, but you remember in Galatians, we've been preaching in Galatians on Sunday mornings, and we had that disruption where Apparently, even after Acts 15, where it was said in Acts 15 that we weren't going to make the Gentiles be circumcised or observe the Torah, but rather here's a few things they'll do so we can have table fellowship. Well, apparently both Peter and even Barnabas, when they went back to Antioch, when certain people would show up from Jerusalem, they would sort of find themselves at a different lunchroom table. That's the best way I know to put it. Uh, they they kind of would... Avoid the, avoid the Gentiles and sitting with them. And Paul comes up and calls their hands on it. In fact, he says in Galatians, even Barnabas was carried away with this. And so maybe there's a little tension there that Paul had rebuked Barnabas and Peter both about not observing what had been decided in Acts chapter 15. They conveniently just became a little more Jewish when the crowd from uh, Jerusalem showed up. So there we have it. But Paul chose Silas. Now Silas, we saw last week, was one of the ones chosen to take the letter of Acts 15 back to the church of Antioch and say, hey, we got good news. No circumcision, no Torah. Here's a few things we ask you to do. Silas, sometimes we call him Silvanus in scripture. Silas is the one that, that he cho chooses so far. And it's going to build as we go. So he chose Silas and departed, and he committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16. He also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a certain disciple was there named Timothy. Now, look up at our map. If you can kind of see as we're moving there, we're going, last time, last mission journey, they went this way. Now they're going to 
Derby first and then Lystra. That's pretty brave. Lystra's where he was nearly stoned to death. But he goes, and there's a certain disciple there by the name of Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman. If your mother was Jewish, the matriarch keeping of records, you were still a Jew. His father was Greek. He wasn't circumcised. His father wouldn't want him to be circumcised because his father was Greek. But look at verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted this man to go with him. So now we have Paul and Silas. We're picking up Timothy here. And Paul had him circumcised. Well, why? I thought we said they didn't have to. That was for Gentiles. This is for Jew. Timothy's a Jew. His mother's a Jew. And so he is circumcised to go, so there'll be no questions about it. You can see the tension still in the air. And they all knew that his father was a Greek. Verse 3. Now, when they were passing through the cities, verse 4, they were delivering the decrees. Now, that Acts 15, where they said, no circumcision, no Torah, as they're traveling to these cities, they are giving them that message. They're delivering the word they've been decided upon by the apostles and elders who are in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and they were increasing in number daily. By the way, I'm happy to say that the rift between Paul and John Mark did not last forever. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, we read, Paul writes, Hey, Luke's with me, but pick up John Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me. So whatever problems they had, John Mark grew up, and Paul's on his dying days, and the one person he wants by his bedside is John Mark. It all, it all worked out. So they're passing through these regions. The, the church is growing in number, now back to Acts 16. And the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They probably want to go down to Ephesus here, and the Holy Spirit is saying no and keeping them out of that region. And then they, as they want to, they keep traveling along, and they want to make another pass, and the Holy Spirit says no. Verse 7, when they come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Holy Spirit says no to Asia. The Spirit of Jesus, another name for the Holy Spirit, says no when it comes to Bithynia. So they want to go to Bithynia. And now, Paul has that vision. Verse 9, he sees a certain man in Macedonia. Now, what's the leading city of Macedonia? Philippi. Standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over here. The Spirit said, no, you can't go to Ephesus. The Spirit said, no, you can't go to Bithynia. He has a vision that night. The man saying, come over here and help us. Come over here and help us. When he see the vision, immediately weep. Wait, wait, stop. Time out. What's wrong with that? You can't just read that without catching that. Look at verse 10. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we. How do we get to a first-person plural pronoun? We've picked up another traveler, right? Luke. Luke's our writer. If he's saying we, these are called the we sections. This is the first we section in Acts. And where you have the we sections, we assume that the author himself, Luke the physician, was there on the journey. So now we have picked up Luke. And when, we had seen, when he had seen the vision, immediately we, so now we got Paul and Silas and 
We have uh, Timothy, and now we have Luke. We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we went straight course to Samothrace, and the next day falling to Annapolis, and from there to Philippi. So Philippi is right up there on the very top, right kind of in the middle there. I know it's hard to see, but we've gone across there. There we go. We took the boat from Troas. We went on up, and then we find ourselves at Philippi, and that's where we're going to camp out for tonight, right there on this second missionary journey at Philippi. So they go to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, verse 12, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. Now they're there for a while, and what did Paul do first when he went to a city? He looked for a synagogue because he started sharing the word of Messiah, Jesus, with the Jews first. Apparently, how many Jewish men did you have to have to have a synagogue? You had to have 10. Apparently, we don't even have 10 Jewish men in Philippi. Or if we do, they at least hadn't established a synagogue because there is no synagogue to go to. And so he goes down, notice verse 13, down to the riverside. Maybe that's why y'all saying we went down to the river to pray. Was that a coincidence or have we master planned this service that good? Well, they'd gone down to the river to pray. And they were supposing there would be a place of prayer there since there's no synagogue. And they began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now, there was a, a certain woman named Lydia. Lydia is the name of the region and the chief city there from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira is in Lydia. And she is a seller of purple. Doesn't say fabrics. Purple. She sells purple. Purple what? Purple garments, purple cloth, uh, purple dye. Now, purple was very difficult uh, color to produce. In fact, it, it took a lot of little sea creatures in order to produce just an ounce of purple dye. And so if you wore purple, it meant that you had some money. I'm looking around to see who has on purple tonight, see who the rich folks are. If you had purple, you had money. She sold purple. And just like expensive jewelry or something like that, if you, if you had purple on, then it was a good sign that you had wealth and there was a big markup. And so, well, the sale of purple fabrics, verse 14, she's a worshiper of God she's not a Jew, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household, verse 15, this is the first occasion of an entire household being converted uh, here in the Acts. We're about to see another one here. So in this meet, we know who makes up this church at Philippi because we're watching it from the ground up. So when Philippi is sending all that money to Paul's missionary journeys, you need to think purple. Somebody selling purple, making cash, sending Paul the money. See how it's working? He always says, man, the church of Philippi is so generous. Translation, Lydia is sending the cash. She's selling the purple and sending the cash. So there you go. Lydia and her household, they'd all been baptized. She urged us saying, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And it happened as, as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl having the spirit of div divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Falling after Paul and us, she kept crying out, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. 
She kept doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. Okay, they're going back and forth to the place of prayer. There is a servant girl who is possessed by a demon. That demon has the ability to foretell the future, and they're making loads of cash off of her, that her owners are, her masters are. And as is always the case in the Gospels, especially the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, every time a demon comes into contact with Jesus, the demon knows the identity of Jesus. Do you remember that? I know who you are, the son of the most high God. The disciples are still trying to put it together, but the demons know who Jesus is. Well, interestingly enough, this demon-possessed girl, the demon in there, knows what they're preaching. She understands that they're preaching the hope, and the demon just confesses it out. Notice, these men are bondservants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. The demons are confessing. They're servants of the Most High God. They are telling you the way to be saved. And she follows Paul around the whole time he's preaching, shouting that out. Now, you think it might be good publicity for your sermons, but apparently it got on Paul's nerves. Paul left the demon along as long as he can, and all of a sudden, Paul spins on his heels and says, enough is enough. I say to you, come out of her. Paul is annoyed with her. She continued doing so for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed, verse 18, turned and said, The Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out of her that very moment. You say, that's great. Well, it's great unless you're her master and she was your meal ticket. Now you've lost the ability for her to foretell the future and nobody's lining up to speak to your girl. The masters noticed their hope of profit was gone. That's what it says in verse 19. They noticed their hope of profit was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them, the chief magistrates, they said, these men are being thrown to our city into confusion, being Jews. Now, notice the accusations. They do not say they've ruined our, our source of profit. That wouldn't go anywhere. They start with the prejudice against Jews. There's not many Jews there, remember? We didn't even have a synagogue. These men are throwing our city in confusion. Hey, they're Jews. And they're proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or observe, because we're Romans. And when the crowd arose together against them, the chief magistrates tore their robes off them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. They inflicted many blows upon them, Put them in prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. So, Paul's preaching the gospel. The demon knows it. The demon announces who Paul is and what he's preaching. And Paul gets annoyed and Paul casts out the demon. The masters lose their profit. They make trump up charges. And Paul and Silas get beaten. Now, I got a question here. Where are Timothy and Luke? The we sections, when they get out the sticks, Luke disappears. Uh, Luke's not here for the beating. Uh, there's no we here. He's gone. Just don't want you to notice that uh, he conveniently was absent when the mob showed up uh, to arrest Paul and Silas. And somehow Timothy escaped that thing too. The crowd rose up together against them. The chief magistrates tore their robes, beat them with rods. When they inflicted many blows upon them, they told the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such command, threw them in the inner prison and fastened their feet 
and the stocks. So Lydia and her household have been converted. They're preaching to the crowds in Philippi. They find themselves beaten, and now they're in prison, and it's midnight. And Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. In the stocks, midnight, in her prison, singing praise to God. And the prisoners, you ever miss that little verse, the end of verse 25? And the prisoners were listening to them. They're singing the hope of Christ. And suddenly, there came a great earthquake, and, and the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. All of a sudden, their singing causes an earthquake, the power of God, the chains are broken, the foundation, the doors open up, the jailer looks and he sees. Now, he had just been told by the magistrates, make sure they're secure, and if his prisoners get free, we've already seen this in Acts, if the guard loses the prisoners, the guards, uh, their life is taken. They, they receive the punishment due to the prisoner. And, and in this case, he draws out his sword, and he's ready to kill himself. And you remember that shout in the King James language, do thyself no harm. We are all here. And Paul says to all the prisoners, nobody run, nobody move. Well, the guy can sing an earthquake. You're going to do what he says, you know. No, nobody go. Okay, okay, whatever you say. Uh, if he can sing an earthquake, they do what he says. And notice what he says in verse 30. What I have to do to be saved. When the wrath of God quakes the earth, when even the prison, the most secure place on the planet, can't stay secure, when the power of God is revealed, what am I going to have to do? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31. Beautiful synopsis of the gospel. Look at it. Believe in the curios Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved. And not just you, your whole household. We save Lydia and her household. Well, in this case, it's a Philippian jailer and his household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour that night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized. And he and all his household. He brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So now we're growing a church in Philippi. We got Lydia and her family, the seller of purple. And now we got the Philippian jailer and his family. They've been baptized. You see how this thing's growing? Two people that probably wouldn't ordinarily have a whole lot to do with each other, but now they're forming the nucleus of Paul's favorite church, this church at Philippi. Now when day came, verse 35, the chief magistrate said to the policeman, hey, go ahead and let those guys go that we beat last night. Now if you don't think Paul's cantankerous, here's, here's exhibit one. The jailer reported these things to Paul, saying, verse 36, the chief magistrate says you can go now, go in peace, shalom. And Paul says, uh-uh, I'm a Roman citizen. 
You can't beat a Roman citizen without a fair trial. We were beaten. Apparently Silas, a Roman citizen too. They have beaten us, verse 37, in public without a trial. Men who are Romans have thrown us into prison, and now they're sending us away. No, indeed. Let them come to themselves and bring us out. The policemen go back to the chief magistrates, and they, they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. If Rome found out that Philippi was punishing Roman citizens. They could lose their status, and they enjoyed a lot of freedoms. And, and they, they came and appealed to them, and they, they, they brought them out. They kept begging them, Paul, we're sorry. You just go. Silas, you guys go. We shouldn't have done that. You need to go. And when they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, they saw the brethren. They encouraged them, and they departed. What a story. Wanting to go to Asia and Ephesus there, and the Spirit says no. Wanting to go to Bithynia, the Spirit says no. He can't sleep at night. He sees a vision of a man saying, hey, come over here to Macedonia. We need your help here. He gets there sometime in the middle of the week, and he waits until the Sabbath. He looks for the synagogue. There is no synagogue. He goes down to the women's place of prayer by the river. He meets this wealthy lady who sells purple garments by the name of Lydia, and Lydia God touches her heart, and she says yes to Jesus, and she's saved her whole household. She invites Paul into her house. Probably hers becomes the house, being the larger house, the cellar of purple where the church at Philippi meets, or at least one of the places. And then Paul goes around Philippi preaching the gospel. The demon-possessed girl keeps interrupting his sermons. Paul turns on his heels, commands the demon to go. He's beaten, put in prisons, and the inner prison, and he sings hymns, and the prisoners are listening. There's some more members of this church. Look how we got Lydia and her household. We got prisoners who are listening to the singing of hymns, and all of a sudden there's an earthquake, and the foundation shake. The chains fall off. The doors swing open. The jailer's ready to thrust himself through, and Paul says, don't do it. We're all here. You guys, nobody move, and nobody moves, and the jailer says, God's angry, the earthquake, and what do I got to do to be saved? You hear Swanson's prayer, what we're saved from. You're saved from the wrath of God. The wrath of God is revealed in an earthquake. He wanted to be saved from it, Swanson. What must I do to be saved? He's saved. His household's saved. They're all baptized. And Paul is told, okay, you can go now. And Paul puts a little smirk on his face, says, not so fast. I'd like an apology from the chief magistrate himself. And the chief magistrate comes down and begs him to leave. And Paul says, we're leaving. We're leaving for now. We're leaving for now. I hope the next time you open the book of Philippi that you shall not see it the same again. That you'll think about Lydia and the jailer and the prisoners. Oh, and I think that servant girl became part of the church too. The one that had the demon in her, cast the demon out. She's in that church too. So when you read that odd little church that ended up being Paul's favorite, think about all these characters who God called and opened their hearts to Messiah Jesus that they would know and be part of this generous, loving church at Philippi, which I believe was Paul's very favorite place. Let's pray. Oh God, what a powerful story.
about the beginning of the church at Philippi. May we too listen to the call of the Spirit. Come over here and give me some help. Paul heard, Paul went, Paul preached, the Spirit worked, and people were saved. And in the name of the one who saves, we pray. Amen.